and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. And we're joined today by a third member who is not named Ryan, confusingly enough. So, you know, I, I thought that there was a certain kind of membership card that you had to hold to get in here. You know, otherwise I wouldn't have kept suppressing month after month that my real name is Zanzibar. <laughs> uh, but anyways... Uh, this is our, our good friend from the Canon Rinse podcast and uh, from his work that surely by now you're familiar with elsewhere. At least you should be because it's uh, uniformly excellent. Mr. Jacob Geller. Hi, I'm Jacob. You can call me Ryan. <laughs> that works, actually. So we have HQ and Ryan. Yes. Perfect. For the next Great. 45 minutes or so. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, I guess since you are new on this podcast, I don't know how many <laughs> listeners we realistically have that don't also sample Canon Rinse and Sound of Play and other places where you might be familiar with Jacob. But um, why don't you kind of give some background as to like the types of games that you like to play, the types of like media you like to consume it's like what are the points of reference prove to us you're not a fake gamer <laughs> and then try to sell us your bathwater. water okay, number one i'm a <laughs> fake ass gamer boy <laughs> yeah I, so i i really am am quite kind of i i take wide genres you know i like i like everything i feel like i am generally known for to whatever extent i'm known kind of doing the the weirder more artsy stuff or at least approaching games in a kind of more unorthodox direction oh, this is going to be terrible this is a really horrible fit for our podcast <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry but we're just gonna have to kick I know you now. guys are kind of straight down the middle gamers here but um yeah we're pretty much just world of warcraft on the weekdays and call of duty on the weekends sorry that's how i like it baby um <laughs> so if if you're familiar with my youtube channel which is just jacob geller at all you'll know that i i really like kind of architecture and talking about how architecture influences games i like space a lot um space as in spaces or space as in star wars i'll i'll take both but you know star wars <laughs> and more i think kind of the what's a good property that has like the existential dread of space kind of like 2001 you know i want yeah sure i like to be horrified by the abyss and that has or been oh, yeah. mario galaxy the true existential terror being sucked <laughs> into a black hole i have a video that is very close to that <laughs> <laughs> you know i i feel like i don't talk about gameplay very much in the kind of stuff that i do and it's not because i don't value it but there are lots of people who are really good at talking about gameplay already and i feel like what i can do is talk about how like the 1893 world's fair relates to mirror's edge or something which mm -hmm. is equally valid <laughs> mom <laughs> That's right. So Jake has been producing some uh, some excellent video essays recently, and um, a lot of them are kind of adaptations of things that he's previously written for Kane and Rince, but uh, adapted to the new 21st century lazy format of uh, I just want to sit down and watch somebody explain something to me. I don't want to have to use my own eyes to read it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it takes about 100 more hours on my end, but it takes you <laughs> much less effort. It saves about half an hour on my end, so I think we can call it about even. <laughs> <laughs> Collectively, the thousands of half an hour saved, though, surely it must end up saving something. I'm providing you a must. public service, really. <laughs> Yeah, so check those out. Personal recommendation there. Uh, they just continue to be very, um, just very different from one another. Uh, you know, you can kind of like get a sense of what a um, what a creator is comfortable talking about through the various videos that they create. And uh, Jacob always puts out things that are in completely different avenues and completely different. Like some will be talking about about history of 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 jazz music and some of them will be talking about like the history of uh of jews representation in in media and the the holocaust and stuff like that and so it's kind of all ends of the spectrum all very interesting all all very well researched and engagingly put together so check out the youtube check out canon rinse where you can also hear him and uh some of us as well <laughs> and um every uh yeah i think your twitter is probably a good place to connect to it all um did we did we answer like why don't you give like a like maybe oh, sure. five things you've been consuming recently games and otherwise yeah, that I can, might kind I can of like answer your question your now starting place <laughs> i have also been playing assassin's creed odyssey i think i started right. i don't know six months ago and it's just kind of like a game that i play for like you know half hour a night sounds about and right. kind of like just just go in a direction and do some things i've been enjoying yeah. that Something about me that you will know if you follow me on Twitter is I play Beat Saber almost every day. Uh, Beat Saber <laughs> wow. is like my treadmill or whatever, where I'll like I'll come mm. home from work and kind of have that tiredness of when you've been sitting in a chair all day. And for some reason, it makes you more tired. Um, and so I'll like make myself play Beat Saber for a while. And that's my thing to like get my heart rate up and get going. Um, I have been emulating shadow of the colossus the original ps2 game on my computer which is kind of the first steps i've taken into uh <laughs> ps2 emulation and that is for an upcoming video so keep keep your eyes open are you doing any of the out of bounds stuff or hacking yeah i'm not i am not doing the out of bounds stuff myself but the video is kind of about that right. uh and like i i have talked to nomad colossus before who's like kind of the guy who does that stuff um so yeah i find i find that whole world really fascinating and you slayed him as well which you know is seemed unnecessary at the time but when you <laughs> go back to it the video game had been rewarding you for doing so for anything called a colossus to that point and so you can't really yeah i yourself. look back and regret but it was a really climactic moment and the music was like really strong so yeah. um and then i've also been playing um observer because that's a that's a cane and rinse nice. coming up and it's a good Good cyberpunk, uh, a weird acid trip of a game. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess with that out of the way, now that we kind of, now that we fully understand you as a person <laughs> and your points of artistic reference, um, would you like to, and we always give the choice to the guests that are on the show, would you like to present first and get it out of the way or would you like to uh hang back and save the best for last <laughs> i'll with that introduction i think i'll go first um, okay yeah so the way that this works um uh, for you and for the listeners that are uninitiated we don't explain the rules very often on the podcast it's probably good to do that every once the in geller a while the geller herd the jacob geller fans that are coming to that's us that's right the geller heads the geller herds. <laughs> i don't know what you call them jacob but they if you're unacquainted h is laying down the rules that's right 
So the way that this podcast works is that we pitch three video games every week, usually one from me and uh, one from Q, and then one from the community as well. But uh, since Jacob's on the show and, and we both are as well, we're going to kind of count his as the community pitch, continue to uh, amass those. We, we read a community pitch every normal week on the podcast. Uh, we'll uh, give the contact details a bit later. Um, but if you have anything you'd like to share, then we welcome all submissions, um, especially when we're running low. That, that is uh, always appreciated. Um, but uh, yeah, the way that this works is that you have as much time or as little time as you want to detail just whatever you want to say about this idea for a video game that you have. Nothing is off limits, I guess, within within reasonable <laughs> within standards. Within some limits. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nothing is off limits. Uh and basically, once you are done stating the initial pitch, the elevator pitch, then uh, we start a timer for 10 minutes. And at the end of 10 minutes, we basically have to close it down, come up with a name for what we've created. And uh, the game isn't done. We put it out there to the community. And if they have anything that they would like to add to it, we always welcome that feedback. Um, but uh, for our intents and purposes... We just kind of have to let the baby bird fly and see where it goes. So I guess uh, with that, let's go ahead and get started. If you want to give us the initial details, we promise to break it completely and to build it into something that's probably nothing like the original pitch, but uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. Okay, so here's here's the pitch. Video game remakes are real popular, and there are a lot of kinds of them. There are the kinds that are just up versions of the original, like um, Shadow of the Colossus on the PS3, where it's exactly the same, it's just running mm -hmm. at 1080. Uh, there are ones that have totally new graphics, like Shadow of the Colossus on the PS4, where <laughs> it's, you know, still kind of the same game, but it, it is built from the ground up, new engine, using modern techniques, all of that. Uh, and then there are ones that are more or less a different game with the same title, like Resident Evil 2, the new one. Mm, um, right. And I think one of the coolest things that I've seen in a game remake is the thing in Halo, like the, the Halo 1 and 2 remakes, where you could push a button and you could switch from the new graphics that they had made back to the old, like, original Xbox ones, and you could see yes. how far the game had come, you know? Because it's easy when you're playing these to be like, ah, this looks like it looked in my memory. But then when you actually see how it looked, you're like, oh my gosh, gaming has moved forward a lot. <laughs> that's, that's one part. Then, I assume both of you are familiar with uh, what some have called the best single-player first-person campaign of all time, Titanfall 2, and specifically mm. maybe the best level in that game, Effect and Cause, where you have a, a kind of time travel device oh, that allows yeah. you to jump back and forth between two parallel realities at different times, and there are different things happening in those. So in one reality, the floor might be on fire, and in the other, the floor isn't. Or in one, it's full of kind of like dinosaurs. It's more interesting than that in the game. That's not the internal fiction. <laughs> yeah. In this world, the floor is on fire. <laughs> isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Or, you know, more interestingly, 
there are enemies in both timelines, mm. but they're different enemies. And so, you know, some are kind of like panthers that are jumping on you, and some are kind of like guys with guns. And so you are hopping out of the frying pan into the fire often by kind of mm. switching between these two. So here's the pitch, is to take a game that we know pretty well, remake it, but remake it different enough that you can flip back and forth through those parallel realities and kind of develop some sort of strategy or have some part of the gameplay be that you actually have to change between the old game and the new game in order to like progress the overall story. Let's go ahead and start the clock there. We've got 10 minutes to work this out. So usually at the start of these pitches, I like to throw out a few kind of reference points of uh, other games that have tried similar things. And this is not to um, always not to put somebody in a in a place of having to be like, well, you know, your idea isn't that original. Like it's just to it's kind of like a further readings list. If people are interested in this, then check out these other ideas and other ways that people have kind of delivered on this. And so I just wanted to throw a few more of examples out there. I think the first time I remember seeing something like this was the uh, Secret of Monkey Island remakes that mm-hmm. they did for PC, Xbox 360, iPhone um, back in the day. And that was uh, super cool being able to swap between not only the graphical style, but it would also change the way that the game was played in that uh, you swap from the kind of contextual clicking that you got in the remake to the classic LucasArts verb grid and uh, having to kind of adapt um, in those circumstances. And you can even change like whether the music also changed to the old MIDI orchestrations and whether uh, the voice acting continued in the old style, which was new for the, uh, for the special editions. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, I also wanted to throw out a reference point. It's a totally different thing, but um, whenever it comes to kind of like shifting dimensions i think it's always cool the way that legacy of kane soul reaver did it where instead of like zapping between dimensions you kind of see everything kind of mold and bend around you um and just watching that transformation like especially keeping in mind like the year that it was released is like insane that they were able to pull that off um so really cool stuff there uh there's one point i wanted to bring up uh as a possible entry point or a possible challenge to avoid we'll just have to see how we take it uh in the halo remakes which you talked about there were a lot of maybe not a lot of but definitely some players that were complaining about uh that the the logic of the game didn't seem to be updated in that there would be like heavy foliage in the new game because the new engine can render that since that foliage wasn't present in the old game that you can swap back to the ai didn't take that into account and so as far as they were concerned if you were crouched in the middle of a big bush then you would still be fully visible and a lot of people found that really frustrating so you know maybe some aspect of kind of transitory cover or something like that's a very easy way to take it but i just wanted to throw those points out there and uh yeah let's see what else we can do yeah, that's so that idea of the kind of like different <laughs> the the like different map layouts in the Halo things is something that I like really want to dive into. Mm. I think in the Titanfall 2 map, I saw like a GDC talk or something where they talked about how they weren't they weren't the same map. They were actually like stacked on top of each other in physical virtual space. 
Hmm. And then the player would themselves be teleported between those two levels. And so this is kind of, you know, in that Halo example, it would be like two levels with fully separate AI patterns and stuff, Hmm. which might be hard to pull off, but I think would be just so cool in kind of like both both in some kind of like actual gameplay sense, but also just kind of like how has AI changed in the past you know, 15 years or whatever game we decide to remake. I was just thinking that there's something about this that screams Resident Evil to me. I feel like if you could, because Resident Evil is a game that's very much structured around rooms and puzzles. And in the case of uh, that recent Resident Evil 2 remake and the original Resident Evil 2, you have like a contained space that gets slightly tweaked. Things are in slightly different locations or things like that. I wonder if you could get more extreme with that and have events that take place in the remake that fundamentally alter or change the environment or the the things that you have to do. And then, of course, being able to jump back and forth and maybe retrieve an object the old way and bring it into the new way. Maybe the object is just gone in the new, you know, remake style. I'm kind of trepidatious to throw this out there because it might completely change things. Not that that's a problem, but I don't want to get too sidetracked if this is uh, if this is way too off course. So we can throw this out if so. But, you know, we, we've seen some remakes that are relatively straightforward in their implementation, like Shadow of the Colossus is kind of what you would imagine a modern Shadow of the Colossus being. Um, but some games like Resident Evil 2, you can kind of even argue that it's a different genre in a way. It plays differently enough. I wonder if you could take an old familiar game, take it into like a completely different genre. And so instead of switching between, you know, N64 and Xbox 360 graphics, you're switching between first person shooter and point and click adventure or something like that. I don't know. I think also one of the things that's appealing to me about this is kind of maintaining the fundamental geometry of what you're mm-hmm. around while while kind of changing the way that you interact with that kind of in that like Soul Reaver way where like the rooms look pretty much the same, but you can like do different stuff in each of them. And so I think it's pretty important to maintain a perspective from that, because I think if you if you change genres as well or like change them significantly, it might just feel like you're playing two different games. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm playing the point and click version the of Resident space. Evil and then I'm playing the like, you know, shooter version of Resident Evil, which is also cool, but I don't think would give that kind of like evolution feeling that I'm really like hot on here. I would certainly like to collect a Resident Evil 2 remake amount of ammo for the original Resident <laughs> Evil. That would be a handy thing. Um, let's say it's a first person shooter. We could kind of pick our, our soup of choice there. But the first person shooter, you're kind of navigating between these two geometries. What are the things that have changed in AI? There's like, you know, maybe in an old version, you can't even interact with NPCs or something. In the new one, you can. Bad guys, the baddies, they. They purposely try and dodge. Maybe they can flank and do things in the new space. It's like, I'm also thinking about how we make the demake version or the original OG version not feel like kind of an easier version of what you're experiencing in the harder, like if you're toggling in combat or something. Yeah, so I'll I'll tell you the 
the kind of game that I thought of when I thought of this, and that's the original release of Fear, uh, which I don't know, mm-hmm. was that a monolith game or whatever? You know, like the the kind of first person shooter looked really good back then, still talked about as having like great AI. And and in that you have you have this like really kind of cool slow-mo mechanic. And so I wondered if you could kind of take take fear and take that where the old one still holds up and is fun to play. And then in the modern one, have some kind of different interesting mechanic, like maybe you can't slow-mo, but you can wall run or you can like you know just do do something else wacky and so you've got like a lot of tactical options for switching between the two and like some might be better suited for one situation or another that's kind of interesting you could encounter like say in the in the old version you kind of have a little bit uh more forgiving of an ai but in the new version you have something where like you have the advantage of being able to shoot through thin walls like you like they could f- properly physics model that now. And but of course, so could the enemies. So you can kind of like maybe use the toggling as a way to amp up intensity on yourself. Or I'm trying to think of like it, I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking about like fear had peaking around corners. Right. I feel like I never see peaking in, in games anymore. Yeah, well, I think the whole the whole horror aspect is actually really interesting because then kind of getting into like, you know, kind of the third act of the game or whatever, you could break your own rules and that would be like a great moment. You know, imagine you're kind of like playing the 2005 version and then suddenly like the 2019 big baddie is like kicking down the door in in what you thought was kind of like a safe retro space and and then you can you can kind of start like mixing those worlds after clearly defining that they were like separate yeah right the same way that the old game couldn't necessarily like hold the enemy in memory right so if you're just far enough away there you are truly safe and gone in the way that like that resident evil 2 they're like well guess what mr x is like here to stay uh, he's gonna mm-hmm. follow you everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Intrude now. I that fundamental concept of having them intrude on each other's space or like the reality slowly collapsing there, and like you're in the you know 2019 one, and you open up a door to a room, and it's almost like Doom 2016, where yeah. suddenly yeah. you're in the the, the retro mm. room, and you're like, whoa, 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 okay, all the rules are different in here. Yeah, and I think that works really well, you know, not to not to take us down the path of we're remaking fear, but like that that's a really good concept for horror, I think, because it's just that kind of like destabilizing like I don't know yeah, what absolutely. to expect here. And and the original fear had so many things where it kind of like it would put you in a blood filled hallway and then the hallway would be fine and then you know, it's like Horror games frequently do that, where they just throw you into a weird situation and then pull you back, and so you're not quite sure what's going on. Yeah. Oh, we are out of time on that one. We always give ourselves time limits because we could go on forever. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you're just barely kind of scratching the surface. And I feel like we've really gotten to the the meats and I want to keep going on that one. But uh, we do have to call ourselves. <laughs> um, so what are we going to call whatever this game is now? 
Man, that uh, that title of the mission in Titanfall 2, Effect and Cause, is so perfect. I'm wondering if we could steal <laughs> steal it. like a variation on that somehow. It's like, look, I'm allowed to name something what a mission was called. That's not copyrighted, right? Yeah, sure. I know we're out of pitching, but I do like the idea of this potentially just being a made up original game. Like there was no, there was never an original, but you're kind of oh, yeah. throwing <laughs> back to the original. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I yeah, think and you like could make f- it really <laughs> retro looking like the, the or you could even call it like um like cause effect uh, parentheses 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, put the year in the parentheses afterward. <laughs> cause effect 2020 is pretty good. I guess we can call it 2019 because this is real now it's ever going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out in the next 6 months. <laughs> yeah, it was right. it was written in 2019 so we're good. That sounds good. I like that one. It's, we're off to a good start here. Since I went first last time, Q, why don't you go first today? First right. meaning second in this case. <laughs> I know we're ever uh, concerned about repeating ourselves as we were. I mean, we're only two years in, but here we go. Here's my pitch this week. I've been thinking about a her story like game where you're sort of driving through either videos or maybe playable memories of people, but you kind of sprinkle in some of the Assassin's Creediness of your exploring your own family and ancestor history uh, and their DNA, and potentially you're trying to figure out maybe a couple of them have done some pretty uh, extraordinary things, and you're trying to figure out who's who and how it all connects together. All right, well, let's go ahead and start the clock there. Is this video footage that we'd be looking through? How do you kind of conceptualize the moment to moment looking? Yeah, I think that you could kind of make whatever UI conceit you want in your mind. I was also thinking about maybe visualizing it with like exploring strands of DNA hmm. or something like that. I think the coolest part for me is trying to do it in a way that is nonlinear and is very much based on your own uh, initiation and discovery. Maybe you have to explore different books or you know archive you know something like that to stumble your way through it the the visual aesthetic that immediately jumped to mind when you were saying that was um eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and how they Mm. kind of like wander through these like memories and stuff that they have that are physical spaces and they're connected but they kind of shouldn't be like it's like a bookstore just opens onto a beach or something like that and have that be kind of like you know we don't we don't remember things in like perfectly linear lines we have these kind of like bizarre connections and so maybe you could make it uh kind of if not open world at least like a kind of spokes of a wheel and you could decide which direction like kind of along which memory to go from some sort of central hub maybe they feel a little bit more like tacoma or something like that Mm. where you're like yeah physically exploring a space and you know as you're in each of the spaces you're kind of like okay who am i right now like who am i in this space as opposed to like you know who's talking to who i feel like that's established relatively quickly in tacoma in a way that uh discovering like who you are potentially who the ancestor is that you're experiencing this memory through could could slowly be sort of revealed to you oh this person was the person you know that was on the beach as you said i wonder if we can kind of mechanically explore like a mechanical metaphor for the types of research that people would have to do into their own family history before the time of like 23 and me which i feel like 
Assassin's Creed is kind of like the 23 and me of this idea where it's just like, oh, it's magic. It's science. Uh, just send away your DNA <laughs> and they'll just give you the story and you don't question it because it's right because it's science. Uh, but back in the day, like people would get like, there were services that would kind of help you through the process of researching your family history and telling you kind of like where to look and looking at old books and old newspapers and old, like, I don't know, manifests of ships and stuff like that. And kind of tracing your family history back through that way. And it made me think of, uh, there was a Sherlock, uh, Sherlock Holmes game. I think it was Sherlock Holmes nemesis. Uh, one of those, uh, Frogwares games. I think that's the name of the company. Um, but, uh, that one had some mysteries where like you really had to, you know, go into a bookstore, find the right book, read pages and use your own brain to put together these puzzles because the game wasn't taking notes for you. It wasn't doing all of this for you. Like most games do. You can't just open a book, immediately close it. And your character retains all of the knowledge in the book. Um, like you can in Skyrim or something like that. And so, you know, if we can somehow kind of represent the process of researching, um, but making it more kind of accessible in that like Edith Finch style. So uh, returning to the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind in, in that they bring like kind of all the items that like remind them of the person that in that movie they want to have erased. And, and in her story, there's that thing where you're searching keywords you know you search like sister and then like videos with sister come in so what if you were kind of doing that where you had you had a number of items from this family member and you could combine them in different ways maybe it's like you know if you pick up their photo album and and their old globe then it like gives you different memories than if you picked up the globe and and a bottle of whiskey or something you know you're kind of like trying to combine their memories in different ways maybe using that same sort of keyword system that her story has i'd love if you learn how to do that through kind of watching things through the memories like you would get in um uh, like Assassin's Creed has a bit of that where you'll go through a chapter, you'll get kicked back to the real world and they'll say, I know where this artifact is because right. I saw my assassin plant it or in, um, right. uh, in, uh, what is that game called? Um, the, the one about everybody, everybody goes to the rapture. That's the one where you see the scene unfold. And then like, you kind of understand, Oh, that's why the TV is on in this version of the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then you would know like, oh, this the TV holds a significance that I didn't understand yeah. earlier. And so now I can use this to access some deeper memory or go in a different direction. Yeah. Another item of prominence or something like that. I think one of the things that's true just of the real world that it is kind of interesting narratively and maybe works also for us mechanically here is that. You know, we all live through many changes in media and storytelling. And so if you set this whole thing in some, you know, family owned warehouse or something that hasn't been opened in years and years and years and you're you're able to physically navigate the space, finding newspaper clippings. Uh, you know, there's some people who are going to be children during the time where that would be the way a story is told versus those people would be adults by the time maybe cassettes rolled around or eight tracks. So having all these ways of like listening to and accessing uh, files and, you know, kind of ingesting them, oh, you're yeah. like, okay, okay, so the kid... 
no, that can't be the adult from here because it sounds like they're younger when we're on CD and there's no way that uh, the person got younger, right? So I, I thought I was listening to an uncle and maybe I'm listening to a great grandfather or something. Yeah, that's I mean, that's such a great source for twists, too, because without spoiling kind of the central conceit of her story, there's a moment where you're playing that game when you like realize something big about the main character and it's like, oh, my gosh. And then it kind of like recontextualizes everything you've seen thus far. And I really love the idea of having having the kind of like methods that you're learning about these people actually be part of the learning process. You know, maybe you learn that like actually it turns out that this, you know, daughter born in the 90s really liked making her own antique newspaper clippings. And so you find out that like <laughs> yeah. these things that you assumed were ancient were actually just like the weird hobby of a millennial. Right. You find out one person is just a liar, right? You have one relative that's like assembling their disinformation sort of stuff or they're a conspiracy theorist. And you go down this whole track of thinking, whoa, you know, this member of my family was in the Illuminati or something. (laughs) And because, you know, it's a family, you could use, you know, a relatively small cast of voice actors playing like sounding people uh, because you'd kind of have that for free. I wonder if it doesn't necessarily even need to be family if you wanted to kind of set it farther back in time, like Assassin's Creed types of of settings where you get a little bit more kind of exotic locales. But I do like, yeah. I do think that like for being, if this was an indie game or something, I think keeping it as a family affair would make it a lot more manageable. Um, it also makes me think back to over the New Year's, um, my partner and I went down to New Mexico um, for vacation, just because we'd never been before. And we were always curious, literally no other reason. <laughs> That's a good enough reason to take a trip somewhere. One of the places that we went to was the, uh, Meow Wolf, Ca- um, museum in Santa Fe, which is like a pop-up museum, like you would see written in the articles, but like a permanent fixture. And it's uh, a really cool, like interactive, immersive museum of art where, you are kind of thrust into this narrative that um, kind of creates this big facade of a very normal looking house. But as you get further into it, uh, you start to kind of understand things about the family that live there and some strange things that happen. And then you enter one of all these weird dimensions through various openings in the house. Like you can go, you know, crawl into the washing machine and emerge in this weird disco room where you can crawl through the, the refrigerator and, and go into this, this other like space age um, location that all this stuff is connected to. It's more fantastical in that sense than what we're um, necessarily getting at. But I wonder if there's some room for fantasy in this, in that uh, we are just kind of filling in the gaps where, where the information isn't complete and kind of like an Edith Finch, you got the, the impression that, some of the fantastical elements were just due to like the embellishments that were made uh, to the story over time. Right. Yeah. There's that there's that brilliant part in Edith Finch where um, you have the comic book that tells you the secret to like getting the key out of the um, the music <laughs> box. Right. Yeah. And and it's it's this kind of like multi-layered thing of like, oh, this is just a way to progress in the game. But then it's like, why was this? in that comic book like how did they know and that like poses all sorts of other questions and so yeah the idea of like exploring memories and kind of like 
finding things that you wouldn't wouldn't necessarily expect from that person or that time period and then incorporating that into this like wider and and weirder than you originally thought narrative is really appealing you could also go full fantasy sci-fi on it and if you're able to piece together enough of the story to know you know like you were talking about jacob objects of importance that entered into these people's lives either through gifting or whatever and realize at the end that like you have to step through some metaphysical portal thing and be, you know, get the right objects to the right members of your family. So they actually pass them on and tell the stories is, uh, you know, could be just a nice way of like rounding it off and also giving a really exciting, you know, final act or whatever. Well, we have to call this one, uh, before it gets, uh, way too metaphysical. This is very cool. I like this one. This one uh, came out really well, I think. What are we going to call it? I think you got to put memory in the title somewhere, right? You could do do a kind of like indie title, like Memories of Us or Memories of You or something like that. I don't know. Like if you received a letter from somebody that called you back to kind of like an Edith Finch, it could be called Memory Card. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with something that was like stories told or a story told. So it, it sounds like we've got a lot of viable things for this. See, stories untold is a game. So I don't want to get too close to that. Although cool game, check it out. Definitely do get close to it in your free time. Okay. So we have, what are the, if you, you guys have two good options. So what, tell them to me and I will flip a coin. Well, we don't necessarily even have to stop here. Like we can keep <laughs> brainstorming. <laughs> no, this is it. It's one of these two no. <laughs> things. I'm breaking a pool cue and I am putting it in front of you both. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to figure out. I want to have like a like a memories of and then somehow make it clear that it's like the player, you know, um, like kind of insert them into the title somehow. So they're already conceptualizing like themselves as part of this narrative memories of ryan <laughs> that's it memories of orion <laughs> it's sci-fi now it takes place in space <laughs> memories of andrew ryan that could be the tie-in <laughs> well memories of orion is pretty it's pretty okay memories of orion like the the belt yeah oh yeah yeah you're gonna make bad, that part actually. of I the like game that. that's kind of cool because it has this kind of mythic quality to it as well and then you could just do like a Men in Black twist where Orion is the name of the cat. <laughs> it's perfect. All right. Yeah, I think that works out. I think we've uh, hit upon something nice there. I'm going to round out the show today with the third and final pitch. And this is one that I'm very nervous that I've pitched before because it's an idea that I've had for a very, very long time. But I don't know if I've pitched it on here before. It's not quite a video game, but... Let's see what we can do with it. And if I have pitched it before, then feel free to stop me and I'll do something else. Um, but basically, I was uh, really fascinated in undergrad when I read about a uh, psychological um, experiment that was done. Um, basically, you know, my, my undergraduate and my graduate as well, uh, both degrees are in psychology. And so I've always been very interested in kind of the psychological sciences. And um, one of the interesting phenomena is that nothing that we perceive is happening simultaneously when, 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 uh, with when we perceive it. Uh, everything that we, uh, that we witness is on a kind of a short radio delay in a way uh, because our brains are constantly kind of fudging 
the image of the world to um, to kind of like make everything make a little bit more sense because there's a lot of things that uh, just to keep cause and effect in order, you know, it uh, since sound is processed slower than than vision is, it uh, kind of slows down the vision signal and it um, so that the the two things, the cause and the effect, both line up in our brains. And so, you know, everything that we are seeing is already, you know, however many milliseconds old by the time we are witnessing it and perceiving it at the time. And they found that this ratio was variable and could be manipulated. And so they ran these experiments where they had a I don't remember exactly the setup, but it was like a flash on screen followed by a, well, I guess, simultaneously with the tone. And then you would hit a button when you perceived it uh, or something like that. And um, and so they they started kind of drawing these two stimuli that were linked together mentally farther and farther apart until, you know, they kind of reached that limit of how far apart your brain would kind of mush the image together and then suddenly they removed that delay and so they were happening kind of right on and people perceived because they were reacting to one of the two cues they perceived their action as taking place before the event that caused them to take that action in the first place so you know just through the removal of a delay that the brain was uh, was accounting for um, it kind of created this this false reversal of cause and effect and so I was I've always been curious you know if this could be worked into a video game somehow if for instance in a first-person shooter you would um, be able to kind of draw apart a delay in between input and what you're seeing on screen or, or something. I don't know. I know that we're already kind of working with uh, variable delay technology based on television screens and computer monitors and input methods and all of that. But, you know, for the sake of the science, if we could do it where we could create a delay in the normal game and then shorten that delay in moments of high action so you feel like you're really kind of like acting without thinking or acting before perceiving a threat or something to kind of give you that that heightened flow state um so i don't necessarily have a game in so much as just like is this a mechanic that could work and in what situations could it be cool and appropriate so it's a very loose mesh of ideas let's see what we can do with it starting the clock Okay, I I adore this. I am I am so in for <laughs> for tricking one's brain. Um and and the thing that I just thought of which which may or may not kind of be able to link into this the broader idea is I said I play I play Beat Saber every day and there are I think people get this way with rhythm games a lot where you will do things so quickly and so kind of instinctually that if i had to like piece out what the movements of my hands were while i was doing you know kind of some of these these big combos i would have no idea what i was doing but since i've kind of been been trained on the notes similarly to how you just like 
learn musical notes, you know, you kind of know them without thinking about them. So I'm wondering if we could introduce something like that into the game and make it instinctual and and then shorten the delay so that it feels yeah. like you are it feels like you're responding before it happens, you know, <laughs> like you talked about kind of make it I think it would have to be a very easy action like hitting a button when you see a light on the screen. But something like a rhythm game, you know, those are pretty easy actions. Those are mm. just like Guitar Hero, you hit the note and strum or a Beat Saber, you just kind of throw your arm one way or another. And so I feel like kind of taking a simple action like that is is really conducive to this idea of like uh, making making reactions seem almost like they are predicting events. I think it's a little tricky with the rhythm games because the timing, I mean, timing is important with every game, but like timing being rhythmic is such a, such a kind of determining factor of doing well. Right. And if you start messing with like delays, then all of a sudden it's kind of like fudging the rhythm a bit, which I, I I'm sure would be like actually fine because our brains can keep up with those, the, that small a degree of changes without any trouble at all. I'm sure. Um, you know, like when you're listening to a live band versus like a robot playing the exact same tune, like there are, you know, fudginess in the tempo that we don't even perceive. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wonder if there's, if there's games that are like that, like, um, like endless runners or platformers or, or stuff that like, where you have to kind of react with very simple ways in, um, I don't know, very kind of simple um, simple setups that could still kind of like take you into this different headspace. One of the things that comes to my mind when I'm thinking through this is, do you remember in the, you know, speaking of first person shooters and remakes, Prey in uh, 2017, 2018 Prey, whatever it was, mm -hmm. there the mimics kind of, you know, we're getting pretty good at video games being able to simulate very erratic type of movements. And I also know like part of how the brain processes things is like we've all had the experience of driving to work and not maybe or you know commuting to work and not quite remembering exactly how we even got there and it's because everything was so routine and nothing unexpected happened uh, and that's very much how we drive that's how we like ride bikes and it's when you know a, the chicken crosses the road when something unexpected happens do our brains kind of come back online again? So I wonder if there could be uh, the concept of something strange, something that the player has to uh, notice or engage with that can kind of snap them back into a timed sync reality. It's kind of like PT in that way, where you have the same setup that you kind of run through a few times, and then because you become so familiar with it, and then you start to notice the little anomalies. Right. So here's here's my same setup thing that is not a rhythm game, but is pretty uh, simple inputs. Sports, sports games. You know, if you think about like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like Wii Tennis, you know, what you're doing in Wii Tennis is incredibly little functionally, like you're not even controlling where you move. You're just kind of flicking at the right time. And so something like that feels like it's like a good fit for this kind of thing because the individual actions that you're doing are not complex but a lot of you know a lot of sports is reacting like 
you know, when you're playing baseball, I think you have to start swinging the bat basically as it leaves the pitcher's hands. You know, like you're not Mm. you're not calculating that trajectory. You are you are acting on this kind of learned instinct. And so even though swinging a bat in itself is a fairly simple action, you know, it's like it's really the timing and the kind of like context of it that gives it the skill required. There's also another type of game that might play well with this kind of setup. Uh, I don't know exactly what to call it. Maybe a hallway game or a pipeway game. Uh, but there's, um, I don't know, just throw out a few examples. Things like Brain Pipe, A Plunge to Unhumanity, or A Luxurious Superbia, or... Dyad, Quit I making think. up yeah. names. <laughs> you're very good at making no up idea game what titles. <laughs> no, but um, games where you are kind of like flying through a circular realm, and sometimes you just kind of have to move your character into like one corner to not hit a wall that's coming at you, or to uh, collect little nodes or something. It's the Sonic bonus stage. Why didn't like you say the Sonic bonus stage? Yeah, but um, those games always kind of put me in kind of like the mindset because you're focusing so intently on a relatively small part of the screen kind of like a um kind of like a shoot 'em up as well where you're focusing on such a small part of the screen and then everything around you is just kind of like swirling and giving you kind of like acid trip colors and you just like you you become kind of hypnotized pretty quickly here's here's a question have you played thumper to completion have you finished it let's see i think i've gotten i've gotten pretty close i feel like so so what the last level of Thumper does that no other level in the game does is it starts warping the actual tempo of the track that that, you know, previously it has been, you know, incredibly fast and the track has been varied. And it's been like 512. So good luck counting it anyways. Yeah. Um, but like the rhythm has stayed consistent. But at the very mm. end, it starts kind of slowing down and speeding up like it's being like mm. stretched out and pulled back oh, together. Um, and it's this really trippy feeling because for the whole time you've been doing something and then suddenly it's it's throwing your rhythm off. And and that is very much like the kind of like tunnel games that you were talking about, Ryan, where it's yeah, like you're yeah. only, you know, you've only got this one track and you've only got these couple things you can do. And so really what matters is is being able to react in kind of weird timings now at the end to these things coming at you. I love the idea of with the central conceit being like, listen, at some point, maybe even this game is going to visually lie to you. And we're going to set up a sound or a beat or a pattern in some way. There'll be something on the screen that says, okay, now do it with your eyes closed because the thing that we're going to show on the screen is going to just totally (laughs) mess you up if you keep looking at it. And so you have a video game that actually is asking you to not look at a screen for some period of time it's you know it's the full use the force luke trust your instincts all of that stuff <laughs> that's not bad that's uh maybe not the most like accessibility friendly thing but i i do love that idea and i would like my own use the force luke moment in a game well for our friends who can't hear we let them toggle between you can see it correctly or you can hear it correctly part of what we are giving up as creators in this situation in particular is that all of this cool stuff would have to be things that we never tell anybody about that we put in our games. (laughs) It would have to be like completely subconscious and people would just kind of feel that there's something odd and interesting about this game. 
And maybe we can write an article about it on Game of Sutra five years down the line or something, but it's not something that we could put on the box. Otherwise, I don't know if it would still like, people would be like looking for it and expecting it and it would just change the way that people engage with it. I think we'd get forum after forum of people going, the lag in this game is terrible. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of makes me wonder if like, games are already doing this or this feels like the kind of thing that like Vlambeer has been doing already for years and just never telling anyone about. I mean, I think there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes into online, just like any online game. I, you know, I think it's kind of impossible to have like a perfectly seamless connection between like 16 players or 100 players or whatever. So I'm sure that there are these like weird little tricks they're doing with with input lag and predicting behaviors and stuff. Yeah, but I don't think they want to tell any of us that because if you find <laughs> out that Fortnite is like adjusting your aim or something, then you know, mm. gamers are going to burn down the house. <laughs> and you I mean that's an interesting point. Like this is a tech conversation, but They have to be in a way like Bethesda's at E3 was just like, hey, we figured out how to make streaming a game feel correct. There's probably so much prediction and algorithms and like complication behind how they do that, that, yeah, you would be like, I'm barely even playing the game once I knew what the software was doing for me. Which is impressive because, I mean, even to predict how even to predict how somebody plays Mario 1-1 is impressive, but to predict how somebody plays a Bethesda game like you could yeah. not believe the choices that I make in Bethesda games. So good luck streaming <laughs> service with keeping up with my crazy oblivion character. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's close that one down. Let's come up with the name. Maybe it's not a game that we're naming, but like the middleware technologies. So maybe mm. something that could sit alongside like Havoc Physics and FMOD Sound oh, or yeah. something like that. What if we called it like uh, Perception Tech or something like that? Perceptotech, or uh, I feel like there's those two words are very close to meshing well together. I feel like we can get them there. I, d- I also feel like there could be a cover which is like perceptive with like two V's or something like this. You know, one of those <laughs> cheesy two, yeah, perceptive with two V's, or or That's somehow nice. it's like like the <laughs> some of the letters get ahead of each other so it like <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the v is actually coming after the e even though <laughs> all right well that'll be interesting to figure out in the show notes <laughs> we all agree that remedy's new game whatever it will be will be powered by perceptive that's right that's right alan wakes for the first time i don't even know what that means in this context <laughs> my polls are getting worse they're getting better for me <laughs> We didn't have our standard community pitch, which uh, usually comes from uh, one of you out in the audience because we had our good friend Jacob on the show today. Um, But I would still like to put out there that uh, all listeners, if you would like to send something in or send multiple somethings in, we always welcome people who send in a lot of things. Um, We've had uh, a few repeat contributors. We haven't heard from uh, Spencer Saunders in a while. Makes me wonder what's happening in the Wiggleverse. Yes, Banker Spoingers is uh, is missing in action. Of course, yes. Obviously, also Spanker Spoingers, the um, (laughs) the naughtier version. Anyways, um, if you would like to submit a video game idea to be discussed and dissected on the show, you can do so by emailing playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. 
or you can tweet us at PlayWriteCast. And in all of those instances, it is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. If you liked what you just heard, but wish I wasn't a part of it, go check out the other shows. Oh, well, on come on. <laughs> um, no, 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 of course. So you can get more of H and uh, more of Mr. Geller here. Uh, on shows like the Cane and Rinse Review Podcast, of course, we have the Sausage Factory interviews with game developers and Sound to Play, the video game music podcast. And Jacob, actually, you just did a great, uh, I was so happy I watched it on TV literally an hour before we recorded why Mirror's Edge still looks so darn good. And I agreed with almost every single thing in that video. So Thank wonderful. You. YouTube work. Keep it going. Makes me kind of wonder what the almost is uh, is saying in there. There are two points that you vehemently disagreed on. <laughs> That's right. I don't like the execution of any of it. No, I I thought it was wonderful. I mean, you talked about sort of they bake the lighting and how the simple geometry. And I mean, it's just a game where I think it was almost a mistake for them to try and, and make another one, wasn't it? I mean, it's true that like we don't we don't have to get into this, but like Catalyst doesn't look as good as Mirror's Edge. <laughs> like, right. it, it seems almost impossible, but like I genuinely think the 2008 mirror's edge looks better than the like 2016 one well when you're uh, when you start from kind of shooting for hyper reality and then kind of step back to shooting for realistic reality like that is it is a step in a direction i don't want to say right or wrong because that's an aesthetic choice but it's you know i feel like mirror's edge is kind of like a heightened version of Mm -hmm. the real world and i think uh you know, we won't spend the rest of the show on it, but there is something to people talk about, oh, the early 3D stuff didn't age well. And I think it's because the early 3D stuff, the PlayStation 1 aesthetic, even though I'm sure there'll be indies that kind of heighten it and execute on it in the next few years, it just like did not fully execute any original artist intent. It was always a compromised version mm-hmm. of it in a way that, you know, you could design for eight, you could design for 16 bit and you can design for sort of modern 3d in, in that sort of way. Except Parappa the rapper who still was charming. Oh, that's right. He still looks good. <laughs> what a bro. He's a good one. Uh, but yeah, anyways, go check out that video. Um, that is uh, kind of challenging this idea that is often as tossed around that video games will never look better than this and how wrong we always end up being. But um, I'm pretty sure that we're there now. Yeah. I, yeah, think yeah. I mean, they're not going to look better than this. Better than Sekiro? Come on. Come on. <laughs> I remember looking at the heavy rain like tech demo and thinking games will never look better than this. And yeah, now I watch yeah. that and it gives me nightmares. <laughs> that woman's teeth do not fit in her head. <laughs> Jacob, <laughs> Jacob. All right. Well, anyways, um, Jacob, why don't you, uh, if there's any places you want to point our audience, I know that we've been uh, pitching your stuff all show, but uh <laughs> Twitter, YouTube, why don't you go ahead and throw the name out there again just to kind of give people a place to look? Yeah, so on on YouTube, I'm just Jacob Geller. That's spelled G-E-L-L-E-R. And then on Twitter, I am JacobG42, like Jacob, but with a Y. Um, And yeah, just go, go say hi to me either place. I will appreciate it and say hi back. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. It's very good. Go listen to it. All right. Well, it's been a it's been a, a long show. It's been a fun show. And on the way out, we always like to give our audiences something small, something bite-sized to chew on on the way out. 
How about a game that simulates all of the fun of the carnival ring toss, but using only smartwatch controls? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to put the digital crown to work. I'm excited. All right. Uh, We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 